So again, I do believe that we can't pray enough in the house of the Lord. So let's pray one more time. Lord God, as we go to your word, Lord, speak to our hearts today. Melt the hearts of stone, Lord. Let us see how holy you are, Lord. How you're holy, but at the same time, Lord, you're merciful. You cleanse our unrighteousness. You cleanse our sin away. Lord, because of what you've done, may we go and tell others about your grace and mercy through the sacrifice of your son on the cross, Lord, that we might have eternal life and how he conquered death by raising from the dead. Once again, Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. So speak through me today, Lord. And we ask all things in the name of your son. Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would ask that you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And in the Pew Bibles, it's at page 604. And we're going to be looking at the entire chapter today of Isaiah, chapter 6. And if it's possible for you, if you would stand as we read the Word of the Lord today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to one another, Holy, Holy Holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He had touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he replied, go, say this to the people. Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins, without inhabitants, houses are without people, the land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak, 
that leaves a stump when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Back in 2012, I was asked to lead worship at a winter retreat in northern Michigan. I grew up uh, in between Ann Arbor and Detroit, Michigan, so about a half hour away from Detroit. My family, my grandparents on both sides of my family moved up from down here, from down in the south, just to go work in the auto factories, and that's how we ended up in Michigan. So all my family works for either General Motors, Ford, or Chrysler. Um, and I won't blame you if you drive a Honda or a Kia or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, being in Michigan growing up uh, there and growing to the church that I went to, it was a Baptist church, and the state convention did a winter retreat up in the very tip. Michigan shaped like a mint and looks like this. And I lived here, and we went all the way up here for this winter retreat for kids who were in grades 6 through 12. And I'm a guitar player, so they asked me to lead worship. And I went up there, and they also asked me to lead a workshop on worship. So I asked my pastor, Rob, what am I going to talk on? I thought I was just going to lead some singing this weekend. And he said, well, I've got a book for you. And he gave me this book by this dude named John Piper, who's a pastor. He was a pastor up in Minnesota. Now he's retired, but he still speaks. And it was called, Let the Nations Be Glad, the Supremacy of God in Missions. I'm not sure if it's out on the, on the back table there. Justin told me that you all had, uh, he has like a book ministry for you, which I think is wonderful. But this book is a wonderful book. But when I first got it, I said to my pastor, Rob, they asked me to lead a workshop on worship, not on missions. And he said to me, well, you need to read the book before you open your mouth, Brandon. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine, I'll read this book. And in the book, I understood what he was talking about because right, right at the beginning, John Piper said this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. When I read that, that just cut me to the heart right there. Because one, I understood what my pastor Rob was talking about where he said you should read the book before you open your mouth. But second of all, that Maybe my understanding, even though I had been playing on worship teams, been playing guitar, piano, was totally skewed. What is true worship? Missions, worship, do they, can they, do they coexist? Are they part of the same thing? What does this mean here? And so through this study, I just 
was led to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see here what the heart of worship is about, what true worship is. It's not about singing. Do you prefer singing out of a hymn book? Or you prefer the loud, what the youngsters are listening to, so to say, of the, the contemporary Christian music? What is true worship? We see that here in Isaiah 6. And so I want to dive through Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, excuse me, and just go through this entire chapter and see here the themes of mercy, of worship, of redemption, and of grace all throughout this chapter. And so I want to walk through this here in a number of themes here, in, in five themes. But I want to start off here. And the first thing that we come to this first section here, right off the bat in verse 1, is the death of the king. As we read in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Well, who is this man named King Uzziah? And there were a lot of kings back in that time. They came, they went. But who was this guy? Why is this so important? Why is, Uzziah, why is Isaiah saying, in the year that King Uzziah died? Why couldn't he just said, in this year? Well, it's because King Uzziah was one of the kings of Israel that it seemed things were going well. The people thought that Uzziah was going to be the man who would bring Israel back to the glory days. He was going to make God's people great again is what they thought that he was going to do. And at first, it seemed like everything was going well. But then, Uzziah had a moral failure. He didn't give God the glory. So God took his glory away from him. And Uzziah's reign fell to pieces. And he died in disgrace. Here's this man that the people of God thought was going to bring them back to be God's people. Everything's going to be awesome again. And at first it seemed like it was, and then he dies in disgrace. So it was very hard for the people of God. But all throughout the history of God's people, we see we're Man places hope in man and not God. This goes back all the way to the beginning of when Israel had kings. What did they do with, with, uh, with Samuel and God? They said, God, we want a king like all the other nations have. Everything will be great. Give us a king. And God said, I'm your king. No, 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 that's not good enough. We need a man. So God said, fine, I'll, I'll give you a king. They gave him Saul. We know how Saul turned out. Saul seemed to be okay, and then, surely enough, fell apart. But then David came. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, but David himself had some issues too. Things weren't all rosy when David was king. Same with Solomon. Solomon was considered to be the wisest person alive. 
But even Solomon had some issues too. And then after that, things just fell apart for God's people. A number of kings came. See, people, when we place our hope in anything but God, when our hope and our security is through man or through the things of man, it will ultimately disappoint us. Because man is just temporary. But God is eternal. When we place our hope in God, we are placing it in the ruler and the king of the universe who created us, who gives us our very breath to live. That's something we should notice here. When we place our hope in man, it will ultimately result in disappointment. When we place our hope in politicians, when we place our hope in the stars of the world, and you notice this, look at how politicians, how all of Hollywood is just, things are coming out about how they're failing left and right about the things that they're doing. But that's going to happen because man is man. But God is God. and He is holy. So we move from the death of the king. We notice that there. But then we move to this amazing vision that Isaiah sees. This is in the second half of verse 1. Going to verse 4. Look with me there. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Imagine the hem of a robe filling this entire sanctuary right here. And now multiply that by a hundred. What Isaiah is describing here is something just awesome. Amazing. It's almost indescribable. The words of language can't really do it justice. But not only that, we've got seraphim. We're standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. Now we hear this word here, seraphim, cherubim. And we automatically think of the, the angels, the cartoon angels that are drawn on toilet paper packages. The little cute little chubby cheek babies with wings. This is so untrue here. The, the seraphim don't look like that at all. But I don't want you to think about that. Y'all ever heard of the blue angels? Those jet planes that the Navy and the Air Force they used to come up where I grew up, and uh, Willow Run Airport is what it was called, and they would fly there. These jet planes would take off at supersonic speeds, just do these hairpin turns, and they'd come down, like right to the ground, and then psh, they'd just take off. And that's what I want you to think about when you hear the word seraphim, angels, something that's powerful as the blue angels and those F-15 fighter jets. Don't think about the toilet paper there. You know? You're probably going to think about it now that I mentioned it there. But be thinking about that. Because, listen here, 
to what they do. And another one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. It's not a little chubby baby who's doing that. Even though at times a little chubby baby can seem like it's the foundations shaken. This is something that's pretty awesome that Isaiah is coming in touch with right now, and he's seeing it with his own eyes. And why is that? It's because our God is mighty and he is holy. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that God is mighty and that he's holy. We forget that he does sit upon a throne and he is ruler. We just continue to go throughout our day. I think that's why there's a lot of issues in the world is because that people have forgotten that the creator of the universe is holy and perfect and blameless. And see, friends, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. When you come into contact with God, you will experience this the holiness of God. Because Isaiah does. And that's where we move on here after verse 4. And in verse 5, we see here where God is holy. God's perfect. He's blameless. But he does something here that's inexplicable. That to us, it doesn't make sense why he would do it. So let's read on further here. Let's see here the cleansing of God's prophet of Isaiah here. Look with me at verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. <laughs> Excuse me. When you see right here, in verse 5, woe is me, for I am ruined. The word there when this piece of Scripture was written down actually means I am undone. I am coming apart at the seams. Just at the sight of this. God hasn't even said anything to Isaiah yet. But just at the sight of this, Isaiah falls flat on his face and says, I am undone, I am ruined, I am coming apart, I'm finished. This is the end. I mean, we've all been children at one time. We remember when we've done something wrong and we face our parents. Some of you have been the parent. You've seen the fear in your child's eyes. I don't have kids yet. I'm not even married yet, so we gotta get we gotta cross that bridge first before that happens. But I do know what it's like to face my father after I did something wrong. I'll put the fear of God in you. Well, Isaiah is experiencing the fear of God literally. When you come to God's holiness, God can't look upon sin. Sin cannot stand in front of God because of his holiness. We will fall upon our face. 
And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, have you experienced that? Have you come to that point to where you say, I'm a person of unclean lips. My heart's not right. My soul's not as clean as I thought it was. If you haven't, you haven't really experienced the holiness of God. Because when you experience the holiness of God, it exposes your heart. It exposes the sin in your life. And we all have that, as Romans says. Romans chapter 2. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A few chapters of it. It says, there is none righteous, no, not one. It does not matter if you were a charter member of this church, if you were born in the pews, or if you did not grow up at all, and you grew up in a foreign land far away where the gospel has never been preached, where they've never even heard the name of Jesus. We all stand short of the glory of God because we're all sinners, each and every one of us. As Darlene said uh, today in Sunday school, uh, our, right, our good works are like filthy rags. That comes a few chapters up here in the book of Isaiah here. And it's interesting to note too Isaiah just wasn't some random dude who walked in off the street and bam, all of a sudden I see God's glory. Isaiah thought he had it going on just fine. But in spite of that, even Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. And why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. But I want you to notice something here. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth, and with it he said, Now this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is removed for, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah didn't say, Lord, what about all the good I've done in my life? He just said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then you notice here, the seraphim comes over with a coal and puts it on his lips and says, your lips are unclean. God's cleansing you. And see, that's the glorious thing. Even though that God is holy, and he is righteous and just. And we are so unlike that. God will purify you. When you come to God and you say, I am unrighteous. I am unjust. I'm not right. I'm impure, Lord. Have mercy upon me. God will have mercy upon you. Because our God, even though he's holy, he's merciful and he loves you. And he wants to see you restored to him. Restored to a right relationship with him. And he does that through his son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross for us. 
That's the glorious thing there. We serve a mighty God who created all of the universe. I look at those mountains out there. And that, that's enough for me right there. I mean, a God who could do that out there. And that should put the, the fear of God in you. That God created that. God created the, the trees. But you know, the fact that God would have mercy upon us for what we've done. Think about that. We've all done stuff wrong in our lives. Whether you took a jar or took a cookie out of the jar when you were younger and lied to your mother about it. Or whether you've done something else. In the eyes of God, it's wrong. But he loves you. And he wants to restore you to a right relationship with him. That's pretty awesome. When we confess that we are sinners and God saves us, we begin to humble ourselves because God is making us a new creation just as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians. God makes us into a new creation. And He purifies us. And it can be painful. You think about that. That hot coal on that lips there wasn't like an ice cube in the middle of summer. Sometimes when God makes us into a new creation, it's a hard process because he's transforming us from what we were into something new. We're humans. We don't want to give up our flesh. We don't want to give up our sinful state that easily. But God does it. He does it for us. And out of this results spirit of humbleness. And that brings us to this forcing here in verse 8. The humble willingness of the prophet. And look there. It says, the Lord, he doesn't ask Isaiah, he just asks generally, who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And actually, it could be said when Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Would I do, Lord? Would I be able to go? You can send me if I would do, Lord. The way how this is written in the original language is not out of a spirit of pride. Isaiah is not here saying, Lord, Look at me. Look at what you've done. And look at me. I'll go for you. I'm your man, God. He humbly goes to God and says, what would I do? You think I could go for you, Lord? And God says, yeah. Yeah, I think you will. Because in verse 9, he says, go. Have you ever come to that point? Where you've said, Lord, I just want to be obedient to you. Wherever you want to take me. I might not ever leave this county ever in my life. Or you might send me halfway across the world and I never come back to this county again. But have you gotten to that point in your life where you've said that to God? 
I find it funny how we'll talk with other people about all the accomplishments we have. We never talk with other people about what God has done in our lives. And see, that's going for the Lord when we talk to other people. When we're at Dollar General and the checkout line there, and we start to build a relationship with that checkout girl or that dude there, and we start to talk with them about God, that is going for the Lord right there. Or when you're out at the restaurant and the waitress or waiter comes by, they're, they're having to talk to you right there and you're having to talk to them. You just tell that waitress, how can I pray for you? We're going to pray for our meal. And, and if we pray for our meal, that's a prime opportunity right there to pray for our waitress or our waiter. And trust me, that's how I made my way through seminary a lot was waiting tables. That's the hardest job, I think, in the world. More than being a janitor, more than working on a line in a factory, having to wait on people can be mean and downright hateful. I think it's some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And keep in mind, too, since a lot of states are like, oh, well, waiters get tips. The restaurant gets by with tipping them way under minimum wage. In North Carolina, I made two thirteen an hour waiting in tables. So a lot of people, but I made tips. But a lot of people don't realize that. My uh, my former pastor told me the story of him and his family going out to eat on Sunday, and his father, who was an associate pastor at a church, said to Waitress, how's your day going? She said, my day is horrible. It's Sunday. He said, well, why is that? He said, look around. All the church people are out to eat. And she pulled out a little track and said, this is what my last table left me. And yeah, those words might be true, but you want to know something? That doesn't feed the three kids that I have. And so his dad said, honey, I want you to know, Jesus wouldn't treat you like that. Remember that whenever we come in contact with people, we can go and we can tell the gospel to them at Dollar General. But the Lord might also call you to go to a place you never thought in your life. You might be thinking to yourself, you don't understand. Those days where I could go, they're gone. God can do anything. As long as you are being obedient, your heart says, Lord, what I do, where, where do you want to take me? He might keep you in this county. He might take you out of this county. But as long as your heart says, Lord, I want to go. Here am I. Send me. It's when our heart comes to the point where we say, I ain't going, Lord. You don't understand. I'm retired. See, you can retire and retire and enjoy it. My dad's actually get about ready to retire from General Motors this next year. And he should. He's been at General Motors as an electrician since 1979. And he still goes to work and puts in 12-hour shifts. 
You can retire from the job. You cannot retire from the Lord. And I know that I'm a young guy. Retirement is a long way off for me, even though I'm already starting to think about that. But brothers and sisters, I just wanted to tell you, there's no pension plan with the Lord. There's no 401k with the Lord to where you can go and say, okay, Lord, I'm retired. I just want to be comfortable now. We're to go, whether that's going to Dollar General or whether that's going to go tell people who have never heard the name of Jesus. We're to go and be obedient. God might call you to do that just as long as you're obedient. And what are we to go and say? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 10, make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Tell them the gospel. And the gospel is a hard message because people don't want to hear it all the time. They don't want to hear about how they are sinners. But we're called to be obedient. We're called to tell them that message. People will reject the gospel. They've been doing it since the dawn of time. But in spite of this, we must be faithful to tell others about that. I heard this one guy say, when it comes to going and telling the gospel, he said, I want you to think about it like this. You're not the chef. You're merely the butler. Your job is just to get that plate to the table without messing it up. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor of a big, huge church or if you're a school teacher at a small little school in a rural county. When it comes to this, we're just merely the waiter. We're just bringing the good news of people. So when you tell people the gospel, tell them the gospel. Tell them what the word of God says. Don't try to wax eloquent or be all fancy. Point them to what God's word has to say. Because this right here is the truth. And they need to hear the truth. But be prepared, they might reject it. But remember, there was a time too when you were not a Christian. And you were in the same position that they were. Lovingly tell them what God's word has to say, even though they might reject it. And just continue to pray for them. But understand this here. That in the end, God has a plan, and his plan is through his son, Jesus Christ. Because if you read here, verse 11, until when, Lord? And he replied, until the cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Verse 12, the Lord drives the people far away. He's talking about the exile. Last week, Justin preached on Psalm 137 by how they were in exile. God's saying, until this day comes, 
That's when you're, you're to keep proclaiming this message. But even though these bad times are going to come, even though the people of God are going to be taken away in exile, look with me at verse 13. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. But like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when fell, the holy seed is its stump. The tenth there was the remnant that remained in Jerusalem when the people of God were exiled to Babylon. But in spite of that, in spite of all of this, God had a plan. And that holy seed there, that's Jesus. The stump that's fell, that's Jesus. Through all of this, God had a plan. And that was that Jesus would come. He would die on the cross for our sins. And he would raise from the dead. And through that and through faith in him, no matter if we were an Israelite or not, we were a Gentile, we would have hope in him. And he would restore us to a right relationship with him. And so... I just want to continue to ask you that question. Have you had this encounter? I want you to think about that. Have I ever had that encounter? You might have walked an aisle when you were a young child. Or you might have just always grown up in church. But if you haven't had that encounter to where you said, God have mercy upon me, Now is the time to do that. It is never too late to come to know Christ. So I want us to encourage you all. If you've not had that moment, have that moment today. Come to know Christ today. Come to accept Him as the King, ruler of your life, the Savior of you, who saves your sins who makes you whole again. And if you've had that moment, but you've just been living the comfortable life, I want to encourage you today to pray that God, that you would just declare your obedience to the Lord and go wherever, whether it's here in Nelson County or all over Virginia or wherever. Just that you would say, Lord, I'll be obedient. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll scrub toilets if it will bring you glory. I just want to be obedient so that your name may be known and people can come to know you as their Savior. It is so possible, Lord, what God can do through people when they are obedient to Him, no matter what they are, no matter if they're highly educated or if they're like my grandmother who never made it past the eighth grade. God will work through all of that when we come to be obedient to him. So let's be obedient. Let's go for the sake of his gospel. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, as we've just read, you are holy, but you are merciful, and you cleanse us, Lord. When you do a work, in our lives, Lord. It's amazing what happens.
people come to know you through, through other people just being obedient. And so, Lord, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this room who does not know you, does not know that you're merciful, that you sent your son Jesus to die upon the cross, Lord, I pray that they would come, that they would know that, Lord. I also pray that people who have known that, Lord, that they would continue if they have been, or that today would be the day where they say, Lord, I just want to be obedient. Lord, here am I, send me. God, we love you. We ask all things in the name of your son, Jesus, and we'll give you all the praise. Amen.